Why don't we stand? We're going to read from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And then Luke 17, 12 and 16. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Luke 4, 18 and 19. And Luke 17, 12 to 16. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke 17, 12 and 16. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. I ask that you would anoint your word tonight. Lord God, that you would deliver this, Lord, as you have placed it on my heart, Lord. Help me to get out of the way, Lord Jesus, and speak to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated this evening. We are not given the nationality of the nine that continued on their way to see the priests. However, it is significant that a point is made to record the nationality of the leper that came back to give him thanks. It could be that the other nine lepers were Jews. And under normal circumstances, the Jews and the Samaritans had no dealings with each other. The Jews were not known for their embracing of cultural diversity and considered themselves a pure race. The Samaritans, on the other hand, were a culturally mixed race. They were made up from a remnant of Israel left behind when the nation had been carried away into captivity, and colonists sent from the king of Assyria, and colonists were sent to the king, from the king of Assyria to inhabit the land. And these settlers brought with them their methods and objects of worship. And the assimilation of these two peoples resulted in a people who feared the Lord and served their own gods. 2 Kings 17 and 33 makes reference to this. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be a polluted people. However, leprosy had a way of placing everyone on an even keel. It was not a respecter of nationality, ancestry, religious views or social status. It had polluted them all. They were no longer Jews or Samaritans. They were lepers. No one was any better than the other. They were all unclean, outcasts, rejected, feared and ignored by society. Leprosy had deprived them of life life as they had known it. It had separated them from their families and their community. 
It had deprived them of human touch and purpose, no longer being able to work. Leprosy had taken them captive, away from all they knew, and there was no way to escape. It had plunged them into a dark place, obscuring their mind from any hope of relief. To think that seeing... Sorry. I think that seeing that the ten men met Jesus, that they were expecting him. It was possible that this was part of the same journey to Galilee that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He was going from uh, Jerusalem back to Galilee and Samaria just happens to be smack bang in the middle. And it was a custom that the Jews would sort of circumvent, circumvent go around Samaria. And we find that the place then where Jesus went to meet the woman at the well is just inside the border. So it could be that as he was passing along the border, I don't know if he walked, I don't know if there was a, you know, a line, but they knew where it was. No one dare step foot in Samaria. But he went into Sychar. And there's where he met the woman at the well. And so we've always read that story and said that's why Jesus went to Samaria. He went to meet that woman. But after ministering to that woman, Jesus spent two days in Samaria ministering to those that she had gathered to hear the man which told her all the things that I ever did before he continued on his journey to Galilee. And it could be that in those two days, word would reach the outskirts of a certain village where the lepers were confined. And that one man named Jesus, the one named Jesus was in Samaria. Perhaps they had heard that he was the one who had cleansed lepers. Perhaps they had heard of the other miracles Jesus had performed prior to his visit to Samaria. The blind saw, demons were cast out, and the lame walked. They may have even heard the one about the four friends breaking up someone's roof to lower their friend down on a bed, and the man carried his bed out. That was good news. Hope rose in their heart. They didn't have to say the same. Jesus was nearby. And verse 12 tells us that Jesus entered their village and the 10 lepers were there to meet him. It was as though they had made an appointment. It wasn't happenstance and it wasn't coincidence. What they had heard of Jesus, I believe, believe had sparked a glimmer of hope and broke through their prison cell and with expectation, the lepers were on the lookout for him. And when they saw him, they didn't waste time. Although they kept their distance, as they were required to by the law, they lifted up their voices and they didn't cry out, unclean. They cried out, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he sends them to go and show themselves to the priest. This could only mean one thing. There would be no reason to be sent to the priest unless there had been a cleansing. And we know that they obeyed, and we know that they obeyed before they saw the results, because as they went, they were cleansed. 
Under the law, any skin condition was examined by the priest. It was the priest that identified the condition of leprosy. It was the priest who had to give the diagnosis the one to the one who came to him. It was the priest who pronounced that one was unclean and could not return to their family. It was the, pr- the priest that had to deliver the news to the family and then examine the home and the belongings of the leprous one to see if the disease had spread. And so it would be the priest who also had the task of confirming that the leper was cleansed of leprosy. Provision had been made under the law for a ritual to be performed by a priest on behalf of one who had been cleansed of leprosy before he could be returned to his family and the community. We have no record of anyone else being cleansed of leprosy before Jesus stepped onto the scene, except Naaman, who was a Syrian, and the priest would not have to give that ritual, that offering for him. So it was a ritual that had been learned, but not practiced. I don't believe they got very far before they realized that their skin was clear. And that feeling had returned to what was previously numb from nerve nerve damage. The opportunity was there for all of them to turn around and go back to thank Jesus. But for whatever reason, nine decided that at that moment, decided at that moment to give thanks was not as important as getting to the priest and returning to their own lives. But they would have heard the voice of the Samaritan who turned and with a loud voice glorified God. They may have turned their heads momentarily to see the Samaritan fall down on his face at the feet of Jesus, but they continued on. They had been cleansed. The Samaritan did not come back to ask for extra. He did not come back to ask for anything more. He simply came back to thank Jesus for what he had done for him. He went back to show his gratitude as he realized who it was that had cleansed him. And he worshipped him. And as he worshipped him, Jesus made him whole. He was entire, complete full, total, unbroken, undented, intact. Jesus not only cleansed his skin and repaired the damage the leprosy had caused in his body, but he went deeper than that. To be pronounced a leper at the time was to be given a death sentence. There was no cure. There was no medication to ease or control the effects of what was to be a slow and numbing death. The mind constantly tormented of the thought of being a living dead person. Twisted by the pain and grief of memories of what once was and thoughts of despair and unfulfilled dreams plaguing the mind, casting them into dark places where there was no escape. A life reduced to rags, filled with shame and labelled unclean. Leprosy had damaged more than just his body It had damaged his identity, his perspective, and the very essence of who he was. But in a moment of worship, 
Jesus restored all that had been shattered in the man's life. He removed the shame. He set him free from the stigma of leprosy, pieced together the brokenness and healed his heart, giving him clarity in his mind, dissolving the dark cloud of hopelessness and despair that had overshadowed him for so long. He was made whole. When the Samaritan left Jesus that day, he was cleansed, healed, restored physically and emotionally. Too many times we're like the nine lepers and we're satisfied with our cleansing. We take the passage, the passage of scripture in Luke 4 and 18 that we read and give it a physical focus. And our limited understanding of the gospel reduces it to a cleansing ritual and does not encompass the complete restoration process Jesus has came to make available to us. We apply the death, burial and resurrection to our lives the cleansing, which is the cleansing, and that's just the beginning. Luke 4 and 18, when we read, Jesus was, was in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. And he was handed the book of Isaiah, in which he turned to the verse that would explain their questions regarding what they'd heard that he had done in Capernaum. Jesus had returned from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Ghost, and he'd gone down to Capernaum and he did some stuff there. And then he went on. He'd heard that John the Baptist was in prison and he went on to Galilee. And when he got to Galilee, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And, and the, the, the word of the miracles that he had performed got there before he did. Luke 4 and 18 reads slightly different in English to, to Isaiah 61 and 1, which is the same parallel scripture, but the essence and the meaning remain the same. As Jesus reads the verse, his anointing is tangible. Everyone sitting in the synagogue under the sound of his voice felt it. From what he was reading and how he read it, they understood he was telling them that he was more than just the boy next door. He was the Messiah, the anointed one of God. But they couldn't quite wrap their minds around it. After all, is not this Joseph's son? Jesus looked at the congregation he had grown up with and he saw their needs. He didn't just see their physical state. He looked deeper than that. He looked deeper than that and saw what was lacking and what they needed. In his statement, he offered to take care of them. However, in order to take care of what Jesus offers, you have to recognize that you have a need. Sometime our need is buried so deeply, he requires the word of God to expose it and bring it to the surface so that it can be dealt with. The lepers recognize their need for cleansing but they did not recognize their need for restoration. Although, as we mentioned before, the Samaritan didn't go looking for more, he did recognize his need to express his gratitude and his awe of Jesus and for what he had done. This act of worship then became an opportunity for the restoration process to be made complete and he was whole. Luke 4, 18 and 19 
the first part of that scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel is simply good news. Isaiah 61 and 1 uses the word glad tidings. Good news brings hope and a sense of anticipation that something good is going to happen. And although things don't seem so great, there's good news. There's hope. The poor. The poor in this verse of scripture does refer to the paupers in society. At that time, they were beggars. Those who were destitute of all resources. These people had lost many of their family and social ties. They were unable to pay tax for any length of time and basically could not contribute to society in any way. And even though Nazareth, Nazareth was just a small village populated by a, a working class, it was probable that those listening to Jesus in the synagogue that day did not consider themselves paupers. A little stretched, maybe, but not poor in this definition. They were not out in the street. They were not begging for bread. But Jesus took time for these people, the beggars. They were despised by the Pharisees and Sadducees and overlooked by the world. Albert Barnes mentions in his commentary that this is one proof that the gospel is true. If it had been of men, it, it would have sought out the rich and the mighty. Jesus ate with the poor people. Jesus sat with those that could not offer him anything. Thank you, Jesus. And looking at this definition, we may not think we fit into that category either. However, a more modern definition of the word poor gives us the following definition. A low or inferior standard or quality, deficient or lacking in. We may not lack physically. Our standard of living is neither low or of an inferior standard or quality. But we are deficient. We are all deficient in other areas. We are all needy, perhaps emotionally. Is our thought life as healthy as it should be? Or are we deficient in this area? Words are powerful. They have power to bring forth life or death. They, are, they can birth dreams or kill them. Words can cause a person to flourish or be their demise. Words spoken to us by people we consider significant are like seeds that embed themselves in our psyche. Whether, the, whether these words, when these words are spoken, whether they're true or not, and they're spoken to us over, they're spoken over us as children, we carry them the rest of our lives. And as these seeds grow, they will either alter our, they, will, they, they can, sorry, alter our perception of ourselves of others and even of God that can cause us to thrive or to be deprived. Many of us have experienced the words, you're not good enough or it's not good enough as a child, perhaps from a parent or a teacher or someone, a family member. And many of us have spent the rest of our lives working at being good enough, seeking the approval of those around us, still reaching to hit the bar that was raised so long ago. This left us needy emotionally. 
deprived of approval and affirmation. The seed firmly embedded to gain the approval of those we love and serve no matter the task. This is but one example of how we can be poor and not even realize it until we dig a little deeper. Emotional deprivation takes on many forms. And whatever form it takes, wherever we have been deprived, it causes us to live an inferior standard of life. But whether we are poor physically, lacking and destitute of resources and begging for bread, or poor in our emotion and our, our thinking, there's good news. Today I bring you glad tidings. You don't have to stay the same. Jesus came that we might have life and that we would have it more abundantly. The second part of that verse says, He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The word here for heal means to cure or make whole. Brokenhearted is a compound word made up of the word broken and heart. To be broken here is to be crushed, to be completely shattered. Hearted or heart simply refers to the feelings and the will and even the intellect, the center of us all. Excuse me. Have you ever broken a figurine or a vase? Have you ever tried to break, to, to glue it back together again? Even if you're successful in getting the pieces back, it never looks the same. There's always an arm that's kind of a little bit out of joint or a <laughs> something askew. But I have good news for you this evening. If you bring the shattered pieces of your life to Jesus, he will painstakingly take the time, no matter how small the pieces are, even the dust, he will put it back together in the original order and make you whole. He was sent to preach deliverance to the captives. And the word deliverance here depicts freedom, forgiveness, pardon, liberty and remission. The word captive refers to prisoners of war. To be a prisoner of war, one is held in custody by a hostile or aggressive power during or immediately after an armed conflict. When we repent, are baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we are delivered from the power of sin. From that point forward, sin has no hold on us. And just like when Jesus delivered the lepers from their leprosy, they were cleansed. Leprosy no longer had the power over them. However, the effects of leprosy on the nine that continued on their way were still evident. And in the same way, there may still be areas in our life where we are still prisoners to the consequences of our past sin. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, Lazarus did not walk out free from the grave clothes that they buried him in. He came forth bound. And although he had a new life, he was still constricted by the effect of his experience that death had on him. He needed to be loosed. Growing up, I never did well as the center of attention. Still don't, but praise God I'm getting better. 
I would never, ex- I could, I would, I would experience intense feelings of what I thought was nervousness, but later came to recognise as a fear of being criticised or neg- negatively evaluated by others. These intense feelings would cause sweaty palms, a trembly voice, shaking hands, racing heart, and an upset stomach. Basically, good for nothing on a stage. It was only recently that I came to understand that these symptoms are not just nervousness, they're symptoms of anxiety. For many years, when put in a performance situation, I would go to the back. For three years, I did organ lessons, and for three years, I was expected to perform at the annual Christmas concert. I also sat music exams. However, I think that for the music exam, it was just one-on-one, so I never felt sick. You know, you're always a little bit nervous when you go for an exam, but it was never as intense as the concert. The concert, you, you were up on a stage at a shopping centre with everybody there. And um, I never, I don't think I ever performed one piece with the correct settings on the organ. It was either the wrong drum beat, wrong whatever, and there was always a mistake. And I always got, got off there just thankful it was over. And even when practicing a piece of music at home and my mum would start singing, I couldn't do it. I would just start hitting wrong keys. I would lose my place in the music, just lose the plot. I knew I would never be able to play in church because I couldn't play if someone tried to sing. This all came to a head recently. Last year, as some of you know, I was nominated by my boss for an award and this required me to go to an annual gala event in Melbourne. It would mean that I would need to spend a day in the office in Melbourne and then attend that function at night at nighttime. Meeting new people is not my idea of a grand time. It's okay if the new people walk into my environment, but to step completely out of my environment and go to where all the strange people are, nah, not my thing. I'm quite happy in my comfort zone with the people that I know love me. Any situation that would put me in a place where people would have to form an opinion of me would make me anxious. Each time she called me into, the, into her office to talk about going, it would start. I could feel it from walking. I, I, I work at the, at the front of the office and she's at the back. So she would call me to come down and let's talk about the gala. And I'm like, I don't want to go, Lord. I don't want to go. It, I'm serious. It, it, was, it was awful. I did everything in my power to get out of it. I can remember the moment that I was loosed from that anxiety. George was singing an item that evening, no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. And it was not that I knew that I feared going. I thought I was just nervous. I just thought I didn't need this attention. I didn't need any of that. But as he sang the song, I knew the Lord was speaking to me. To me, And I went to the altar and just prayed in the Holy Ghost. And when I got up from that altar, I knew I was delivered from the anxiety. I went back to work the next day and I was called in my, to my boss's office to once again talk about attending the gala. And this time I did not walk in with dread. I did not experience any anxiety anxiety at all and began to look forward to the event. 
When I got there, we stayed in town. I caught the train from Melbourne City to the office. No anxiety. I'm sitting on the train. I'm going, this is really weird. I don't even feel nervous. And then I walked right into the office as if that's where I worked every day. That's really weird. There's not even a bit of nervousness. And I met with the people that I was asked to meet. And that was really weird. It was like I worked with them every day. Good news this evening. Glad tidings. There is hope. He can loose us from the consequences that we suffer because of sin. He can deliver us from whatever is holding us captive. Hallelujah. 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 He was sent to, to preach and to recover the recovering of sight to the blind. The recovering here refers to restoration. He desires to restore the sight of those that are blind. It is more important that you see clearly spiritually than you see with your physical eyes. The effects of sin blurs our vision, makes it opaque, not clear, cloudy. Our perception, as we heard this morning, can be affected. I'm reminded of the blind man in Mark 8, 22 and 26. And they brought this blind man to Jesus who took him and led him out of the town. And Jesus spat in his eyes and put his hand on him and asked, Do you see anything? And the blind man responded, I see men as trees walking. He went from being completely blind to having obscured vision. Jesus didn't leave him like that. He put his hands on him again and he looked up and he said, and he, and he restored his sight. And when he asked him, what do you see? He said, I see every man clearly. Jesus wants to recover our sight that we too would see clearly as he would have us to see. Perhaps it is to bring revelation and correction to a deception that we have accepted as truth. Or perhaps we need, we need, we need clarity in our perception to align to his reality. However, we are blinded. And the good news is this evening that Jesus restores sight to the blind. He came to set at liberty them that are bruised. Liberty, freedom, deliverance, forgiveness, remission. The definition of, of bruised I found fascinating, although it probably shouldn't have surprised me. Bruised is very similar to that of broken, crushed, wrecked, cracked, shattered to minute, minute sorry, fragments. But it also refers to a, a laceration, a tear, that by implication causes one to convulse or jerk. This definition reminded me of a sore point. You know that button that people press when they want to upset you. Is there a sensitive matter that upsets you each time it's mentioned? Is there a memory, an experience that causes you pain each time it's referred to or you remember it? Bruises, bruises generally don't cause too much pain unless you touch them. As long as you leave them alone, they don't hurt. They look gross, but you can put up with that as long as you don't touch it. But as soon as a little pressure is applied, we jerk. The pain surfaces. Jesus wants to liberate you this evening. He wants to relieve you from the pain that you carry. To give you freedom from your sore point. 
He wants to empower you to forgive that you may obtain deliverance from the pain that you carry. Jesus came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Good news, it is still the acceptable year of the Lord. The message of hope still goes out this evening. Good news, you don't have to stay the way you are. Good news, you don't have to be poor or deprived any longer. There is hope in the house tonight. Sister Cass. Good news, it's still the acceptable year of the Lord. Good news, repentance opens the lines of communication with God. Good news, baptism in Jesus' name still removes sin. And the leprous nature of sin is halted and we are cleansed. Good news, the baptism of the Holy Ghost still comforts and reminds us that God is not only with us, but he is in us. Hallelujah. We are no longer deprived. Through Jesus Christ, we have riches that this world cannot comprehend. Good news, there is healing for a broken heart, for a life smashed to splinters. Good news, Jesus can make you whole. Good news, there is liberty for those that are captive by strongholds in their mind. Good news, he gives us clarity that we can see clearly his plan and purpose for us. Good news, he can free us from our pain and make us whole. Like the Samaritan leper, we must present ourselves completely to Jesus, glorifying God and giving thanks for what he has done and the process that he has begun. We ought to withhold nothing from him, our past, our present, our future. We give it all to Jesus. Hallelujah. We can be satisfied like the nine lepers and just continue along our way, but we will never be complete. We can come to church every week. We can look like we've got it all together. But Jesus knows our needs and he knows what he desires to do in our lives. But we must present them to him. Jesus has so much for us that we, we, we can't even comprehend what he wants to do. Good news tonight, church. We can be made whole. Good news tonight, church. We can take advantage of the complete restoration package. Hallelujah. Tonight, if you want to come and present yourself to God and say, Jesus,